Hey there, and welcome to the Unlikely Artist Podcast, where I'll teach you how to gain the freedom you need to become who you want, instead of who you've been telling yourself you need to be. I'm Heather Kerr. I went from international tax to art and coaching because those are the things I've been yearning to do. Listen in to find out how you can start doing what you love to in slow, easy steps each week. Let's dive in now. Welcome back, Savvy Souls. So today we're going to have a bit of a vulnerable episode. We're going to be talking all about rejection and I'll be telling you about a recent personal story of mine. And I hope you find this helpful because rejection and feelings about rejection are a factor in all of our lives. I've spent a lot of my life worried about rejection and I have sometimes avoided making choices that will lead to more rejection than I think I can withstand. But in fact, I've also found myself making a lot of choices that expose me to a lot of rejection. And it's true that any artist or entrepreneur is certainly exposed to lots of opportunities for rejection. But so is anyone who applies for a job, wants to join a group or committee or social circle, or anyone who wants to date, or anyone at all who wants to be accepted by someone else. In other words, pretty much most of us. I thought it would be helpful today to deal with this issue of coping with rejection squarely and vulnerably. I want to talk about what we make rejection mean and how we can deal with it in a way that is more useful when it surfaces. So here I'm going to tell you a vulnerable story that happened yesterday. I decided to enter two paintings into a regional art show. It's the most important regional show that we have here. We get outside jurors who are very experienced in doing art themselves and in juring high-level competitions. And the way the events rolled out are this way. You apply for the show and you drop off one or two pieces on Saturday during a particular time period. And then you, at that time, you decide whether you want to sign up to get a critique or on one or both of them. And then what they do is they tell you that they'll let you know by noon on Monday, if you are in or out of the show, uh, actually what they tell you is we'll call you if you have to come pick up a piece, which means you're not in the show. If you don't hear us, hear from us by noon, you're okay. And if we do call, you have to come between two and four. And in any event, I signed up for an art critique and my time was three. So if I had paintings that weren't accepted, I could pick them up then. So here's what happened on Monday super nervous all morning, hoping I wouldn't get a call. Noon rolls around, no call. I'm joyful. I think, oh my God, both pieces were accepted. That's so amazing. Um, and then I got a call at one thirty, 
And she says, I'm so sorry your work was not accepted. And it was like, I felt so deflated. It was like a punctured balloon because I thought 12 o'clock had happened and I was good to go. And then I hesitantly said, so both pieces weren't accepted. And she said, oh, you had two pieces? And she checked and she said, oh, no, your other one, soft opening, is on the list of accepted paintings. And then it was kind of back to the good feelings of, oh, I I got one in. That's that's great. So I'd signed up for this critique, the critiques of my art ahead of time. When I signed up for it, it was an act of bravery for me getting a formal art critique and having to hear potential criticisms. But when I heard one painting was rejected, not accepted into the show, I realized that it was brilliant because when we're rejected in some way, what happens is, or what happens for me is I make up all kinds of stories that aren't necessarily true and aren't useful. So anyway, I arrive at the the place to get my critique where artists are also, where I'm needing to pick up the one piece that wasn't accepted. And I walk in and she checks my name and she says, oh, you have two pieces to pick up. And I said, what do you mean two pieces to pick up? I had one that was accepted and one that wasn't accepted. And she says, no, I think both your pieces were not accepted. And I said, well, I was just on the phone with somebody half an hour ago. And she said, this other one was. And then I ran into this person I know who was helping set up the show. And she said, yeah, I I don't think either of your pieces are in. I don't see them among the work that's being hung. But I needed to find both my pieces to talk to the juror. And so first of all, we walked around the gallery where the pieces were being hung and there already hung on the wall was the one piece I'd been told was accepted. So at the end of the day, I did have one piece accepted and one piece not accepted. That was quite the roller coaster. So then I found one of the jurors to give me my art critique. And it was really, really fascinating because the piece that wasn't accepted was a piece that I'd shown recently in Toronto. I'd had a lot of good comments on it. And a friend who had an art critic friend who'd come as a guest uh, to the show who'd really loved this piece. And it was the piece I liked the most. And I had felt really positive that it would be accepted and it wasn't accepted. And the other piece was one I really hesitated to enter. I was originally going to enter a different second piece, but I had a friend and fellow creative who'd seen the second piece I did enter, who just fell in love with it and begged me to enter it. And that piece was actually accepted. So the critique ended up being really interesting. And I was so glad I'd signed up for it because I would have made up all kinds of stories about the one that wasn't accepted about them not seeing it properly or like coming up with all kinds of reasons or resentments about it. But he basically said, here's why it didn't really attract my attention and just didn't stand out. And he had a number of reasons. They were partly personal to him, 
but they were also useful things when I really thought about it. I still love the piece, but I also think I'm going to amend it because there are things I can do to it that are quite easy that will make it even better. So even though I think possibly I would have accepted it into the show if I was the juror, I totally get where he was coming from and why it didn't resonate with him so much and what could be fixed. And I found that really helpful. And then we went and saw the piece that was hung up and he told me how it was so wonderful and why it was so wonderful. And he pointed out things that really resonated with him about the piece that kind of surprised me. And that was also useful to know, but not as useful as the critique about the one that was accepted. So let's roll forward. I'd had the roller coaster. And when I went home, my brain wanted to focus on the piece that was not accepted. I was feeling quite sorry for myself because I'd loved this piece so much. I told myself it's really the essence of what I'm trying to do. It's really a brave move forward. And this juror hadn't seen that. So I started to sink into this terrible feeling of complete rejection. My brain didn't want to think at all about the piece that had been accepted. So I live alone and I did what I sometimes do in these situations, which is forget to feel my feelings and try to find a mental fix. So I started to explore articles and videos about how to handle it when your artwork is rejected. And what I noticed was super interesting. I listened to, I don't know, maybe five YouTube videos, read about three articles and all the kind of comfort in the articles that was provided. We're talking about, oh, here are mistakes you might've made. You, your biography might have not have been well presented and here's how you can prove it. Or, um, you know, it's just a juror and, you know, it's just one person. Maybe your art is amazing and the juror just didn't see it as just personal opinion. Like all these things that are true and I'll talk about later, but are also kind of excuses. Not one of the articles or videos talked about the possibility that the jurors had decided deliberately they didn't want it based on a set of criteria and valid reasons within those criteria. And my thought was listening to these videos and reading these articles didn't seem helpful to me because they didn't contemplate an actual rejection. It was almost as if an actual rejection would be too unbearable to bear. And so we need to pretend it's not there. So, I started to shift back from that. And I noticed, first of all, that my brain was totally focused for no reason on the rejection and not thinking about the acceptance at all. And that was my choice. I didn't need to be doing that. I could be rejoicing and celebrating that I had a piece of art that was accepted into this fairly well-known local show. And I could be proud about that. And the other thing I went to is I noticed how much I had in fact learned 
from the critique, I went back and looked at the painting I brought home and I thought of all these fairly easy fixes for it that could take it to the next level. I realized that this critique had really taught me something and I'd learned something that I can do differently to take my artwork to the next level, to make it better, to make it more fully expressive of the ideas that bubble up inside of me all the time as an artist. So I'm better able to convey that to the viewers, a broader range of viewers than the group of people who already like the painting. Let's turn all of this back to you, Savvy Souls, and about this whole issue of dealing with rejection. Let's talk about your experience of rejection, what you make rejection mean, and how you can navigate through it. So I want to talk about six things I find really helpful to notice when you're feeling rejected. First of all, step back and notice if you have a habit of seeing rejection everywhere, a habit of interpreting experiences as ones of rejection. Notice if you turn even little things, an unanswered phone call, someone who darts off when you greet them at a party, being excluded from a gathering you wanted to attend, emails you send with no response, or bigger things like you didn't get a promotion you were seeking, or a job, or a project, or a client, or an opportunity that you were desperately trying to secure. Or you put out something important into the world and crickets, no response, or criticism, or a date who ghosts you. Notice how often you interpret experiences like this as a rejection of you in your entirety. You make whatever happened a rejection of something important about you, the essence of you. And this way of thinking about these experiences can become a habit. There's something called confirmation bias. I've probably talked about this before. That's when you search for and interpret or recall information in a way to confirm pre-existing beliefs. So a belief that you're never going to make it, that you'll always be rejected, that you're unworthy, that your art is unworthy, that your job skills are unworthy, that people don't like you or whatever. You have these pre-existing beliefs and your brain kind of hunts for evidence that it's true. And you interpret experiences that way. And you interpret experiences as rejections that are not. If you expect to be rejected, savvy souls, if you believe this is something that happens to you a lot, I think it's important for you to notice that, to notice that the actual rejections are very unlikely as frequent as you're thinking. Just become more aware. Realize that this is a habit, a habit of misinterpretation in many cases. 
And as you build that awareness, you kind of step away from that belief. You become what I think Buddhists call the watcher. So there's the part of you thinking thoughts, and then there's the real part of you noticing those thoughts. And that part of you notices that maybe they're not true. Maybe I'm always thinking this and that's way too frequent. I'm just misinterpreting things as rejections that aren't. And hopefully as you start to notice that this is a habit, you'll be less inclined going forward to misdiagnose experiences as rejection. So that's the general advice or recommendation to notice if you have it of seeing rejection everywhere so you can misdiagnose your experiences less often. Secondly, when you feel rejected, it can feel really terrible. Like it felt for me yesterday once I was sinking into this rejection of the one painting and I guess I was making it mean something about my ability to share something deep and meaningful in me. And so what did I do? I tried to distract myself by reading a bunch of stuff, probably not the best first step I could do. So I think it feels so terrible because for a lot of us, it translates to a feeling of unworthiness or shame. Like, Oh my God, if people knew this happened, like how could I face them? And so when we're feeling that way, we naturally try to push it away. We binge watch Netflix. We try to find solutions. We eat ice cream or chocolate. We have different coping strategies to try to distract ourselves from feeling it. And that means that we don't deal with the emotions that rise up in us. And as a result, what happens is we hold on to the feelings which then tend to feed more negative thoughts about us and our ability to do what we want. And the confirmation bias kicks in and we start seeing it everywhere. And in any event, we descend into a shame spiral. If instead, as we've talked about before here on the podcast, we choose to accept the feelings, we notice, hey, I'm feeling shame. And then we say, and that's okay. We just notice the feeling of shame. We feel where it's located in the body. And we notice that physical sensation, the pit in our stomach or the tightness of our chest or whatever it is we're feeling physically. And we allow it to be there. And what happens when we feel those feelings and allow them to be there? They will lessen. We will let them dissipate a bit. We will start to let them go when we actually feel them. Instead of pushing them away, then they they surface and they stay. They become part of what Eckhart Tolle calls our pain body. That's kind of like negative feelings that live inside us to surface and affect our thinking in the future. Okay, the next step, the third step, is examine your beliefs about what happened. Was it truly a rejection? Do you know that to be true? 
Or are you just making up a lot of things? You know, someone gave you a sideways glance or didn't talk to you or whatever, and you're making a lot of meaning out of that. One thing that fascinates me as a coach is how often my clients tell me these stories and they assume there's only one way to interpret what happened and they interpret in a way that makes them feel rejected or inadequate or not good enough. And often I'm hearing the whole story and I'm not hearing anything bad until they tell me their interpretation. So basically we make up a lot of stories all the time about events that happen. And those stories are what make us feel bad. Those stories are what make us feel rejected. And in fact, no rejection actually happened. The other person wasn't even thinking about us. They were focused on their issues or problems or distracted or needed to talk to somebody else or just forgot to return our email. And it means absolutely nothing about us. So examine your beliefs about what happened and say, hey, was I actually rejected or could there be another explanation? Now we come to the part that all these articles I read tried to ignore. What if it actually was a rejection? Like in my case, my one piece of art actually wasn't accepted. It was rejected by the jurors. So you're rejected by a potential date or a boyfriend or for a job or by a client, whatever. Notice in each case, it's not a rejection of you. It's a rejection of maybe something that you did, something you said, or it might not really be a rejection of you at all. It's just or, or it might, might not really even be a rejection of what you did at, at all. It's just saying, hey, this piece doesn't fit in the show. Hey, I'm looking for some other qualities to date. Doesn't mean your art is bad. It doesn't mean that you're not dateable. Doesn't mean that you're not employable or that you'll never succeed. It just means that you weren't right for that position or that job or that person. Okay. The fifth thing, try to learn from the rejection where it's appropriate. Gather as much data, like data, not your impressions about what happened, but about what actually happened. What was in the mind of the other person? Try to get feedback where it's appropriate. See what can you do differently? I remember when I was a lawyer at Steichman Elliott, that's a law firm in Toronto. This is back my first seven years, I guess, of legal practice. I was with them and we had a junior associate when I was more senior. And what used to happen there and at many law firms is there was the first cut. You would article there for a year before you could be a lawyer that means you would kind of practice law without actually being called to the bar and they would train you. And at the end of that, they would hire back some of the articling students, say it was 50%. And then even then you would become a first year associate and you'd rise up 
the ranks if they kept you on to be partner. There was a guy, I think he was a first-year associate, so he'd made the articling cut, but he was a first-year associate. And they used to fire, let go of a lot of people in their first and second year, but they were very kind about it. They always gave them a six-month notice and let them continue to work at the firm if they wanted. So there's this guy, he was a great guy, but, you know, his work wasn't quite up to snuff. It wasn't quite as good as some of the other associates. And when they were deciding to cut the first year associates, he was selected to be cut. And he was given the option of staying on and working for the six months or having six months with pay and not working. In either case, it gave him six months to get another job. And this guy was so amazing because what he did was he said, no, I'm going to stay and work. And he loved the firm and he secured pe- feedback from everybody he'd work, worked for all the various assignments he'd done said, what could I have done better? What could I do better? How could I grow more? Anyway, he had that attitude and his development as a lawyer was phenomenal over the next six months. And at the end of the day, Steigman's kept him on and he eventually became a partner there, an amazing lawyer, fabulous. He just had a bit of a rough start at the beginning. That was it. For me yesterday, I learned a bit from the critique of the piece that was accepted, but I learned so much more from the critique of the piece of mine that wasn't accepted. And I feel that because of yesterday, I'm so much more equipped than I was before this experience to take my art to the next level. I think I'm even more equipped than had both pieces been accepted than I was by hearing an actual critique of things that I could improve in the piece that wasn't. So learn from the rejection, gather data and feedback, and try to consider it neutrally and figure out what you can learn from this and more importantly, what you can do differently as you go forward and make your dreams more likely to happen. And then the final piece is Savvy Souls, don't cloak your rejection in a cone of silence. So the cone of silence is a reference for those of you who are older like me and maybe watched Get Smart, where you're young, Get Smart, Maxwell Smart, his name was, he was called that because he actually wasn't very smart. He was always messing things up. He was, I I can't even remember, kind of a spy or detective or whatever. And when he'd meet with a boss, it was always top secret things. So there'd be this cone of silence that would descend from the ceiling and cover cover up the conversation so only those two could hear. So basically it's kind of keeping stuff to yourself and not letting the world know about it. And I think we want to cloak our rejection in a cone of silence because we forget that rejection is part of the human experience. We think it's just us, that we're a failure and no one else ever experiences it, but it's something all of us experience. And let's face it. The truth is we don't even like people who always succeed, right? Or at least they're harder to like because they feel so different from the rest of us. They're so much less relatable. There's never been a single good movie, Savvy Souls, where we watch a hero 
who doesn't have any issues, succeeds at everything and just sails through life. What a terrible movie that would be because none of us would relate to them. Talking openly about your experience and how you feel about it will kill the shame and more than that, make you feel more connected with the humans around you. Notice how the bad feelings that surface when you're rejected wither in the light of sharing them with someone else. So savvy souls, if you happen to be in the thick of an experience of rejection right now, let me be the person who tells you right now that you are inherently worthy, inherently lovable, and good enough exactly as you are. Love you guys and see you next week. Bye now. So if you're energized by the possibilities you're hearing about on this podcast, but you're wondering how it's possible to actually make what you've been fantasizing about doing actually happen, I'd love you to join me for a free strategy session where we'll talk about coaching together. We'll explore how you can start making what you want possible by taking small, easy steps that add up to something amazing. Just click on the link in the show notes below this episode to book your free call. I'd love to meet you live. And all my listeners, remember, it's finally your time to do what you want.